0: Certainly good to be with you again this Lord's day morning and have an opportunity to share the Word of God with you. I have to move this up just a little bit. Turn with me please, if you will, to the book of Philippians. This is a corporate prayer day unless some of you have less some of you have forgotten and so we'll be ending right around noon so we can go prayer. Now, we all recognize the value of prayer. We all recognize the value of corporate prayer as joining together as a body of the Lord's people in order to petition Him, in order to worship Him, in order to bring before Him the needs of the assembly and the needs of each other. And so we're looking forward to a time when we can do that together today. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yudis, Yudia and I implore Cynthia K. I I can never pronounce those names, I've tried over the years, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word this morning. And let's pray together. Father, we are indeed grateful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. And not only have you chosen to reveal yourself and to reveal to us the plan of your glorious salvation of which we have taken part, you have also revealed to us those areas of our lives that you want to see worked on. You have also revealed to us those areas of our life that need encouragement and help. And so, Father, we ask you this morning that your spirit might speak to our hearts and lives this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Paul, earlier on in this epistle, he says that he would like to know the Lord and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. To know the Lord by actual experience in His life. That is his desire. His desire is to know Him. To know the Lord. I would like to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too much so that I get addicted. Lord, I, I don't want so much of Christ that I learn to really hate covetousness. I don't really want to know the Lord so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in an area and culture. I want to know the Lord. But I want to know the Lord in a way that is comfortable for me to know Him. I want to know the Lord in a way that is comfortable for me in the culture in which I live. I want to experience the Lord Jesus Christ in the good. And I'm even willing to obey Him. And to learn to suffer if it is His will and His purpose. But not too much. I would like a comfortable amount of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like a comfortable amount of the Lordship of Christ in my life. Sad to say, that is true of many. Isn't it? Is it true of your life? Is it true of mine? How much of the Lord... How much of the lordship of Christ do we have in our lives? Another said, and I believe it was in the book, The Insanity of God, said this, In Russia, Christians are tested by hardship, but in America you are tested by freedom. And testing by freedom is much harder. And that is true. that is true. Nobody pressures you about your religion so you can relax and you're not so concentrated on Christ, on his teaching, how he wants you to live because you're relaxed in a culture that makes you comfortable. Stephen Curtis Chapman sings a song, and I believe he wrote it as well, in which are these stirring words. He says, drawn like the rivers are drawn to the sea. There's no turning back, for the water cannot help but flow. Once we hear the Savior's call, we'll follow wherever He leads because of the love He has shown. And because He has called us to go, we will answer. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but for the sake of the call. Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Not for the sake of a creed or a course. Not for a dream or a promise simply because it is Jesus who called. And if we believe, we'll obey. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. When I've heard that song over the years, and it's been out for quite a while, it always challenges me, it always stirs me. It always stirs me in my heart. What is our commitment like? And how is that commitment that we have to Christ, to the Lordship of Christ in our life, how is it reflected in the way that we live? Day in and day out. Because that's really where it matters. It matters in the way that we live, in the way that we express in the culture and in the environments in which we walk and live and breathe. How is Christ seen in the way we communicate? How is Christ seen in the way that we act, in the way that we live? These are serious questions to the heart of a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are serious questions for us. And we've all grappled with them before. And we will grapple with them again because we're human. And we struggle with trust. And we struggle with faith. And we will grapple with these issues over and over until the Lord calls us home. But how much of you does the Lord have? How much of you does the Lord have? What is our commitment like? C.S. Lewis once wrote, and I quote him, I think that many of us when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins, that we're we're an obvious nuisance, we are inclined to feel, though we do not put it into words, that we are now good enough. He has done all that we wanted him to do, and we should not be obliged, or we should be obliged, if he would leave us alone now. But the question is not what we intend for ourselves to be, but what he intends us to be when he made us and when he saved us and when he redeemed us. Imagine yourself, he goes on, to living in a house. This was from his book, um, The Pursuit of God, was it? Is that the one? Oh, um, Christianity, mere Christianity. He said, imagine yourself living in a house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopped up and stopping up the leaks in the roof and so on. He knew that those jobs needed being done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he is knocking the house about in a way that hurts, and it doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? What on earth is he up to? My comfortable life. What is he doing? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. For you, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace and he intent, that he intends to come and live in. What is he doing? you ever feel that way in the Lord? Sometimes when things are going on in your life, you say to, say to yourself, what, what are you doing, Lord? I don't get it. Why? After all these years I've been faithful, I've done this. Why this? Why, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? How much of my house does he really possess? How much of my house does he really live in? Does he really own? How much of me does he own? Does he possess? Abraham Abraham Coper wrote, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which our Lord Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. It belongs to me. It is mine. And in a very special and unique way, he can look at each one of us. Each one of us. And point to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, You are mine. I possess you. You are mine. Nice to see you back <laughs> You are mine. And mine forever. You are mine. Now, since these things are true, when the Lord asks us to do something... We should be those who get whose ears perk up and pay attention closely when the Lord speaks. You remember the way the prophet Isaiah begins in that early chapter of his ministry? Remember the way he begins, "Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken." And what is that causing the people reading to do? Pay attention. It is God who is speaking. Pay attention. These are not just simple words spoken by a simple man or even penned by a prophet. These are the very words of God spoken to you. And so when we get to the New Testament, it is the same, is it not? The New Testament is also written under the inspiration of God, and every word is God breathed. And so every time he speaks, and every time he shares, and every time he exhorts, it is for those he knows and those who belong to him. And we belong to him. And we are his. And we are his forever. I will always remember Dwight Knight one time. He was speaking at a conference. This was many years ago. But maybe this phrase some of you remember from when he was speaking. He was talking about how we are responsible to the Lord for obedience. And then he said this. He said, Whenever the Lord says something in his word, our natural response, our natural response as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, should be, Yes, your majesty. Yes, your majesty. And he did that little bow to them. Yes, your majesty. Are we those? who are at that point in our lives, are we those who are at that point in our lives where we can say, yes, Your Majesty, to the things that He calls us to do? Whatever it may be. Whatever struggle, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty, whatever joy, whatever increase, whatever decrease, are we able to say, yes, Your Majesty, for I am Yours, and You are Mine. Forever. Forever. I want to look, the two weeks we are together, at the injunctions that the Lord gives us in chapter 4. By the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, I want to uh, look at the injunctions that he gives us here. This section of Paul's letter to the uh, to the Philippian church begins with an injunction to stand fast. Did you see it? Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so be standing fast, or so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. In this way, be standing fast in the Lord. Stand fast. Now in this little introduction, in this verse, it it looks backwards and it looks forward. The therefore, of course, causes us to look backward in the epistle. Causes us to go all the way back. And and it could be that it's making a reference all the way back to everything that he has already discussed. Because we recognize that he penned this letter with one major purpose in mind. There was a problem in Philippi. There was an issue in Philippi that needed correcting. That needed encouragement. And all of the letter with all of the great and deep and profound doctrine that we find in it concerning our Lord Jesus Christ and the humbling of Himself, the kenosis of Him emptying Himself is all leading up to dealing with the issue that He wrote the letter for. It's all setting the stage, if you will, for what He has in mind. And when we get to chapter 4, we will see that. That's why we're in chapter 4. We'll see the reasons. All of this teaching, all of this doctrine was being laid out before them. And so it could go back. That Therefore, it begins, it could go back all the way back to talking about living for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It could go back to those things. It could go all the way back to those specific paragraphs that deal with the false teachers it could go back to that immediate contest that deals with the conforming to his glorious body and the subduing of all things under christ it could be over the overall tenor of the entire letter of acting in a way in which is worthy of the calling with which we've been called having equal weight our words having equal weight with the calling That we say it and we live it. That we say it and we live it. To our unity and striving together for the sake of the gospel of which He's spoken. Of being like-minded. Doing nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, esteeming others as better than ourselves. Having in us the mind of Christ. The attitude of Christ. Doing all things without Complaining and disputing, holding forth and holding fast the word of truth. Not seeking our own things, but seeking the things that are of Christ Jesus. He may be referring to that desire to know Christ, to know Him by actual experience in our lives. Be those who are pressing forward, to be those who are reaching toward the goal. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's going back with this little therefore all to the content of what he has shared up to this point. All back to the content of what he has shared at this point, to this point. So the therefore points back. Maybe to the immediate context, maybe to the whole tenor. And it really doesn't matter where. But it points back as the foundation of what he used to say. And then he says it says, thus stand firm. Thus stand fast. And that points both backwards and forwards. Because it's pointing forward to what he is now going to be sharing with them. These are things in which you must remain fast. These are things in which you must remain firm. All of these, he's used this terminology before already in the epistle. But now he's zeroing in on some things that he wants to bring to their attention. And really, as I said earlier, this is the core of the reason why he wrote the letter. He had heard that there were some problems in the assembly. He heard that there was some difficulty in the assembly. He tells them, so Stand fast in the Lord. Sometimes we just kind of read that as just one little sentence and we move on. But it's important that we understand what we are supposed to be standing fast in. Does he mean by standing fast in the Lord, standing fast in the doctrines? Well, maybe. Certainly the doctrines are those things which come from the Lord. He says... Stand fast in the Lord. In your faith and in your commitment and in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Stand fast and let no one move you away from the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus. Do not let any false teaching, any error of doctrine, any problem that comes into your life, any situation any hardship, any leisure, take place, take the place of the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. That's our ground, isn't it? Is that the ground of where we stand fast, my brothers and sisters? It's in Him. It's in Him. How do we get through the struggles of life in Him? How do we get through the the Times of death and suffering and agony that our our souls go through. It is in Him. Because we have trusted and rested in Him. Stand fast in Him. And stand fast in what I am about to tell you. This is how you should stand fast. Stand fast. Be of the same mind, He says. I implore you, and I implore, I, I, I can never pronounce that way. Thank you. I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. This is the first thing that he brings to them. This is the first thing that he brings before them. You are to be those who are resolved in your mind. You are to be those who make a determined choice of your will that you are not going to be in conflict with another believer within the assembly of God's people. Conflict comes. Conflict is real. Conflict can come over many different things. Large things and small things that can distract us From our standing fast in the Lord. What These two women, it's interesting with these two women. These two women, nothing is ever said about them being gossips. Nothing is ever said about them as being immoral kind of individuals. Nothing is said about them that they were living lives that weren't pleasing to the Lord. In fact, he says the opposite. These are my fellow workers, my fellow laborers. They were laborers with me in the gospel. And we know even with those that are laborers together with us in the gospel, we can have conflict. Right? And it was causing disunity, which is the reason why he wrote the letter. It's causing disunity. We know that conflict can become so strong that people will separate from one another. Right? We know that to be true. Paul and Barnabas. Think of that example. Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, they separated from one another. And one went one way and one went another way. Both of them continuing to bring the gospel of Christ to different regions. Both of them continuing to serve the Lord in different regions. But the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they separated from one another. It ought not to be, right? Right? And later they're reconciled, aren't they? Later they're reconciled. John, Mark, and Paul are reconciled to one another. But conflict within the assembly of God's people, conflict among brothers and sisters. He says to them, be of the same mind in the Lord. Let this mind be in you. You see the buildup that he had from the previous chapters? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look out not only for your own interest, but for the interests of others. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind, let esteem others better than himself. Instead of being motivated by self-ambition, be motivated to treat one another as more important than yourself. I believe that's the way the NIV translates it. Now, this word self-ambition, the word translated self-ambition, is a word that generally had the connotation of running for office. When you read it in, in other extra-biblical kind of things. It has this idea of running for office. And it has the idea, why, why running for office? It has the idea of promoting yourself above others. Isn't that what politics are all about? Promoting yourself above others. And if you can belittle someone else and promote yourself, then you do it. If you can tell an untruth about someone else and it's going to help you in your political age, you do it. Truth becomes... False truth or true truth? Now, is that the weirdest thing? But it's true. Promoting yourself. Self-promotion. He said, do not be the kind who are promoting self. Do not be like those who are promoting self. I don't know what the conflict was between these women. But Paul says, now, put it aside and come together. Over the things that really matter. Over the things that are really important. Put the bickering aside and come together. Whatever it was. Whatever it was. Put it aside. And come together. Be of the same mind in the Lord. A promoting of self is not the mind of Christ. A promoting of self. My ideas are better. My opinion is of greater value. And the word conceit goes right along with it, meaning glorying without reason. Boasting without reason. You have nothing to boast in, but you're boasting about how much better you understand or how much better you grasp things than another. You see how it goes together with the the first word. Promoting yourself by glorifying yourself when there's nothing to glorify in. Conceit. We all kind of know what conceit is, don't we? Conceit. What are we like? What are we like? And these sorts of rather petty disagreements, perhaps, it could have been something deeper. I don't know what it was. He doesn't inform us of what it was. Bring about complaining and disputing, chapter 2 tells us. Brings about complaining and disputing. And complaining is a word that means to murmur. Complaining talking on your breath all the time about something person. person Do <laughs> you see what she, did? You know, I don't know what she did? And you murmur under your breath about people. It's kind of a secret thing. But it's stirring in your heart. It's bubbling in your heart, and you can't let it go, and you won't let it go, and it bubbles inside of you, and you murmur. He says, don't be one who is murmuring over stuff. Israelites murmured and complained all the time, but it wasn't in secret. It wasn't in secret. Disputing contains the same kind of connotation as murmuring or as complaining. It has the idea of of deliberating with yourself. Inside, you're deliberating with yourself. You ever deliberate with yourself? You ever deliberate with yourself? Yeah. I'm right because I said this and I said that. He was wrong because he said this and he said that. And until he says this, I'm right, he's wrong, and that's the way it's going to lie. And sometimes that may be true. It may be. It may be true, but is it worth disrupting unity between brothers? I can have have a perfectly legitimate dispute, a perfectly legitimate disagreement with another brother in the Lord and not allow it to affect my relationship and my fellowship with him. There were many times in the Philippines when we were there, many times in the Philippines where we would meet together with, with others from many other denominations, many other different groups of people. And sometimes some of the things they believed weren't exactly the same things I believed. I mean, sometimes they were quite, quite a bit different, not, but not on the areas that really meant, not on the foundational doctrine, shall I say. And so I could meet with them and I could fellowship with them and I could enjoy their fellowship, even though we might disagree on something. We still had unity in Him. We were still believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And we could enjoy one another's fellowship. So he tells these women, he implores them. And it's an imperative he uses both times, he implores them. Take care of this. Take care of it. Be of the same mind in the the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Be of the same attitude that was in Christ. It's not so important that you exalt yourself. Be of one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let us as brothers and sisters have priorities in our lives. Let us as brothers and sisters have priorities in our lives that are God-honoring priorities. What are our priorities? What are the priorities of our life? Is it the well-being of your brother and sister in the Lord? Is it the well-being of one another in the Lord? Is that really a priority in our lives? Or our fleshly desire to be right. To be right. You can be right. You can be right. You can be right and still maintain fellowship and unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Understand what I'm saying? Understand what the Word of God is saying. Let us as brothers and sisters who squabble at times... Not here, Brantford, Of course, that never happens here. I know. I've been here many, many years. We never have any squabbles here. But let us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, resolve to desire the attitude of Christ above our own selfish ambitions. To have the attitude of Christ. When there are disputes, seek to make it right. Be willing to forgive. Correct when needed. Be corrected when needed. Allow correction to come to you. Sit down with the one you have dispute with. Pray with them. Discuss it. Go to them. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it bubble over. Take the correction or give the correction. But maintain unity in the Lord, lest a little leaven, leaven the whole lump. Decide to be like-minded with other believers. I am one. And there are, there are a few who have the same opinion as I do on this portion in Philippians when the Lord said, I mean, when Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's the Lord, for God, is it's God who is at work in you. He's referring to this problem. He's referring to the problem. He's not referring to your salvation in a general sense. He's referring to the deliverance that you need from a problem that you have right now in your life. You have a problem. There's issues. Going. I'm not saying you have it here. I'm just, you know, these are the words the Lord gave me this week to speak on. But he said, you have an issue. Deal with it. Work it out. Work out your own deliverance with fear and trembling. Because God is the one who is there. God is the one who is watching. God is the one who is in this to bring about his purposes. If you will but yield to him, his purposes can be fulfilled and worked out in your life. See, he says it again in chapter 4. He says that same thing again in chapter 4. That you are to be those who are yielding yourselves to have these things worked out in our lives. I urge you, therefore, he says, true companion. Can you imagine? And and I I suppose I can imagine, but I, I really can't. I really can't um, empathize with the whole situation. But can you imagine that he gets this letter now? And it's a letter for the church, right? It's to the saints meeting in Philippi. And he's reading this letter to the entire church. And now he comes to this verse and says, um, imagine how hard it must have been to read those words. Um, you two ladies... Paul just said, get it right. He's reading this letter to him. Can you imagine? I can't. Would that be a little embarrassing in front of the whole? I don't know if it was read to the whole kind. Con- I don't know. I'm assuming it was. Because then he calls out others that work. Others that were fellow workers with him. He said, come together and help these ladies. Help them through this, whatever it was. Help them through it. And that is a charge to all of us. That is a charge to all of us. If we know where there are problems and we know where there is dissent, we know that brothers or sisters are struggling with one another, come alongside. That's hard to do, isn't it? One of the hardest things I ever had to do as an elder, both in the Philippines and here, was to do that sort of thing. To mediate between two who are really having a conflict. But that's what he calls his fellow workers to do. Mediate. Come in between. Cause them to pray together. It is amazing to me. And I'm sure it is to you as well. If you've ever been in those kind of situations. It is amazing to me how that when you get two who are in conflict together and you get them praying together together. For one another and for the problem, how quickly it dissipates. Because all of a sudden they recognize their commonality. They recognize they're praying to the same Lord, to the same God, whom they both love, whom they both desire to see that His will worked out in their lives. And oftentimes, just by getting together and just by praying together, things can be worked out and resolved. I remember this, and I'll close with this since we're talking about corporate prayer. Corporate prayer will begin in just a moment. And we'll continue from where we are next week. But resolve. Make a decision of your will to be the kind of individual that does not have prolonged conflict with another brother in Christ or another sister in Christ. Resolve. Make a decision of your mind before Christ that when you see such things you will open yourself up to the Spirit of God and if He wants to use you to come in and help mediate that you can be there and used by the Lord. I remember one time, and I'll close with this. I remember one time in the Philippines we went into a prayer meeting one night. Joyce will remember this very clearly. It went in on a Wednesday night and you could sense the tension in the room. You didn't, need, you didn't need to know anything that was going on, but you could sense the tension in the women of the assembly. It was palatable. It was real. And prayer time was kind of choppy at best, almost forced a little bit. And after the meeting... One of the women stood up and said, all of us women are meeting in the back right after this meeting. All the women went to the back, and they resolved their issue right then and right there. And when they came out, they were all hugging each other and were all united once again. They recognized an issue. They recognized a problem. And they resolved it by getting together and talking and praying. And committing it to the Lord. May we be those kinds of people. For his glory. And for his honor. As we go into a time of corporate prayer now. I'm going to ask Tim French if he'll close our time in prayer. When the, when, it, when he feels appropriate. The time is appropriate to close.